The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2009's The Box, directed by Richard Kelly, starring Cameron Diaz, James Marsden, Frank Langella, James Rebhorn, and Holmes Osborne. The Box is the 2009 psychological horror film, this movie currently holds a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Norma and Arthur Lewis, a suburban couple with a young child, receive a simple wooden box as a gift, which bears fatal and irrevocable consequences. A mysterious stranger delivers the message that the box promises to bestow upon its owner one million with the press of a button. However, pressing this button will simultaneously cause the death of another human being somewhere in the world, someone they don't know. With just 24 hours to have the box in their possession, Norma and Arthur find themselves in the crosshairs of a startling moral dilemma and must face the true nature of their humanity. Okay, Martin, the box. What's your history with this one? I've seen this movie, not in theaters, but I saw it on a digital video disc, I believe. I like Donnie Darko and I liked the way Richard Kelly directed that movie. This movie is not in the same league. I own all three Richard Kelly movies. I have a lot of respect for the guy. I don't always agree with his work. He sticks to his guns when it comes to creative decisions, I'll tell you that much. They don't always work for me, but the man is trying something different. I saw this movie when it came out on DVD. I rented it. I didn't like it at the time. Perhaps this is another knowing in the making, and I might change my mind. I remember you being excited about this movie because it was was. based on an episode of The Twilight Zone. I was excited for it because of the premise. I am a sucker for gimmicky high concept premises and by the way before we go any further i want to put another blanket warning like i did for knowing this is a movie that really benefits from not knowing what the hell is going on once again if you're actually at all interested in seeing this i recommend waiting until later and then coming back and listening to this okay martin let's do what we always do at the top of the show and discuss the actors one by one we'll see how you thought they did Cameron Diaz. This is totally impartial. Her acting was bad in this movie. I'm really glad to have the triumphant return of Cameron Diaz. No, you're not. You did nothing but complain about her the entire movie. You're like, like, she is horrible. I couldn't even pay attention to the movie. You're just complaining about her the entire time. Like I said, I'm really glad to have her back on her show after so many weeks. You know, what was that? Episode five? Right. A long time. But now she's back. All our old favorites are up. They've been coming back, like back to back. What's your beef with Cameron? Cameron Diaz in the box. Her, oh, her accent, man. They gave Cameron Diaz a Southern accent for no reason whatsoever. I don't understand it. No one else has an accent. In fact, her mother in the movie (laughs) doesn't have an accent either. I've never heard someone from Virginia, especially Richmond, speak like that. Yeah, she talks like she's from Georgia or something, right? Yeah. In comparison to James Marsden, though. He was great. I thought he did a great job. I was very impressed. One of the things that runs through my mind when we make this show is I don't want this little actor segment in the beginning to just be like a bash fest. I'm glad I have the opportunity here to sing the praises of James Marsden because he really did his best. He did a great job in this movie. He was really believable. His scenes had a lot of emotion to them. Yeah, like he was really trying and there was a really sharp contrast between him and Cameron Diaz. He was great. Like I was really surprised. You know, a funny thing about James Marsden, I haven't seen any one of his movies, but there seems to be a recurring theme in the ones that I have seen 
scene, things never turn out too good for this guy. Either he doesn't get the girl or the girl is his downfall or something equally bad happens. So in X-Men, he loses Jean Grey. In The Notebook, he loses the girl. <laughs> oh, in uh, it's Superman Returns. <laughs> he loses Lois Lane to Superman. Things don't turn out too good for this guy. Superman tricks him into raising his son. <laughs> <laughs> Superman's like, ha, gotcha, sucker. <laughs> I am now a James Marsden fan. I look forward to seeing him in something else. Okay, next up, Frank Langella. Another phenomenal acting Great job. job. This guy brought his A-game to what could have been a really stupid role. He did a great job with it. Those are the three main people we're talking about. Two shining stars, one clunker. All right, Martin, let me get into the brief history of The Box. Director Richard Kelly wrote a script based on the 1970s short story Button Button by author Richard Matheson, which had previously been turned into a Twilight Zone episode of the same name. Kelly described his intent for the film. My hope is to make a film that is incredibly suspenseful and broadly commercial, while still retaining my artistic sensibility. The production crew also journeyed to NASA's Lang Research Center in Hampton, Virginia to shoot a number of scenes for the film. Richard Kelly's father had worked at NASA Langley in the 70s and 80s. Production concluded by February 2008. It was the second time James Marsden and Frank Langella worked together, the first being Superman Returns. The box marks the first feature film scored by members of the Canadian band Arcade Fire. Martin's favorite band. On the commentary of Tony Scott's Domino, Richard Kelly outright dismissed shooting a 1970s period piece with a digital camera. But after seeing David Fincher's Zodiac, Kelly's position quickly changed and he was quoted saying, it can be done. During the box panel at the San Diego Comic-Con, Cameron Diaz took to the microphone and accidentally spoiled the film. <laughs> She said, Richard had to throw in guys from Mars, adding that the aliens are testing mankind. And finally, the film was not screened for critics. I'm going to post a link to that Comic-Con flub. I actually found it on YouTube. Is it funny? You be the judge. The box. The basic premise of this movie is as follows. Frank Langella comes to Cameron Diaz and presents her with this moral dilemma. He gives her this box. And on the box is a glass dome with a red button inside of it. It looks like a button that the president would have to push to launch a nuclear warhead. Exactly. He tells her, listen, if you push this button, two things will happen. One, you will receive a payment of $1 million. And two, someone somewhere in the world that you do not know will die. Right off the bat, Martin, what would you do? I would push the button, right? I would probably push it before he said someone will die. He's like, I'll give you one million. It'd be funny if he died when you push, when you push the button. He's like, I don't know you. <laughs> that is the basic conflict of the movie. It is a very interesting moral choice. I well, like it. It's a very cool hypothetical question. The question is, how much is a human life worth? Exactly. Could you be able to live with yourself knowing that you killed someone just for money? Could you? No, I don't think so. I don't think it would be worth it. I think that's a really cool premise. Excellent idea. Perfect for a 22-minute Twilight Zone episode. We're going to stretch it out to two hours, though. Yeah, hopefully there'll be enough here to pad it out. Oh, we forgot to mention, like, one of the most important things about Frank Langella's character is that his face is completely disfigured. Right. He describes what happened to him as the people who control the lightning <laughs> hit him. In, it, uh, apparently, apparently, he was struck by lightning died. Then somebody in the morgue, I guess his body was being refrigerated, 
was cackling. Heard, heard someone laughing, and I guess they let him out, and he's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Frank Langella's face is like completely burnt off, and part of his neck is missing. Now, this effect is kind of interesting because whether or not it looked good, it would change from scene to scene, right, right, I right. thought. So whenever there was a close-up of his face and you could kind of like see his teeth through his cheeks and stuff, looked pretty good. I thought it looked pretty good. But when you see his face at an angle... From far away! And they have to add in the background to <laughs> where his face... It looks really... Like a bad Photoshop Really job. shitty. Like somebody took the blur tool and went... <laughs> it looked like the Invisible Man is like poking him in the cheek. Like... <laughs> It's very bad. It's very poor looking, I thought. You know, why even give him this disfigurement at all? Did it add anything to the plot? I thought it was unnecessary. I mean, it was interesting, I guess, to give the movie a little more visual flair, but he could have just been a regular guy, and it, the movie would have been exactly the same. Cameron Diaz's character, like we said before, she's like a teacher, and uh, her husband, James Marsden, works for NASA. He works he's, on the camera. He's, he's making a camera. He's doing optics for a rover, and he's a candidate for being an astronaut, and I don't understand how those two jobs translate to each other. Yes, yeah, so... Whatever. Right off the bat, there, there's a scene in this movie that is both confusing and semi-annoying, and I later come to find out that it's semi-autographical. So Cameron Diaz's character, they gave her a disfigurement. How about you describe that? Cameron Diaz's foot is missing four out of the five digits on it because she had dropped a dumbbell on it and believed to have broken one of the bones in her foot. She goes to get it x-rayed, the doctor leaves the room with the x-ray on, and forgets about her. Apparently, the radiation destroyed all the tissue that was on the end of her foot and they had to amputate the four last digits. Apparently that actually happened to Richard Kelly's mom. Really? Yep. So that can actually happen. Well, back in the 50s. Yeah, so she's a school teacher and she's in her classroom and then this one kid pipes up in the middle of her lecture and goes, what's wrong with your foot? <laughs> Let me see your foot. That actually happened to me in high school. What's wrong with your foot? <laughs> no, no, no. Someone said that to one of my teachers. <laughs> that a disfigurement. Yeah, so what's wrong with your foot? And then she does something that I thought was extremely unrealistic. She takes her shoe off. And shows him. Shows everybody her mangled foot. No teacher in the world would ever do that, right? You lose complete respect of your class. It was really interesting because he took control. He, like, dominated her. Mm -hmm. And he intimidated her. And then she felt, I, I mean, it was almost like she was powerless. Like, she had to do it. Yeah, I didn't like this. I, I, for, first off, it was unnecessary. It was a really weird way to show that she had a disfigurement. It could have been done in a classier way. You know, they could have just done it in like a throwaway scene where she's putting her shoes on. A series of events happens that kind of pushes them towards pushing the button. Right, right. right. I, yeah, all of these bad and negative things occur. Cameron Diaz gets fired and James Marsden had his heart set on becoming an astronaut, but that falls through. While this is going on, you see that a lot of people that are involved with these negative events start having a bloody nose in the middle of them. It begs the question, what the hell is going on here? It's almost as, I mean, like, it's insinuated that something is causing this to happen to them. Yeah, multiple people in this movie have nosebleeds which we'll find out what that is later. But that does add a very interesting bit of mystery to this plot. So far, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm with it. So far, I'm pretty engrossed in the movie. Let me ask you something. So Richard Kelly, before he said that it is impossible to make a movie in the 70s with a digital camera, but then he changed his mind after he saw Zodiac. What do you think? Did he succeed? No, he failed miserably in this movie. He tries to do a digital emulation of Technicolor and it comes off with this weird peachy color. I hate the way this movie looks. I hate it. Yeah. That's one of my big stumbling blocks with this movie. It has this weird 
pink color cast to everything. It looks bad. You know, I'm reminded of this movie I saw recently called Flash of Genius. Greg Kinnear invents windshield wipers or what, whatever. But that took place in the 60s, but right. they shot that with digital cameras and it had all that grain. Noise. All that, yeah, well, it had all the noise and it just seemed wrong to me. It just, I couldn't gel the two together. Now that their careers have taken a turn for the worse, they have a lot of incentive to push this button. They're sitting there and they're debating what they're going to do. James Marsden actually cracks open the box and looks inside of it and there's nothing there. It's just an empty shell. I like that. I think that's kind of clever. It definitely adds to the mystery whether or not this thing is even legitimate. Yes. And then Cameron Diaz, on an impulse, she just slams it down. Cameron Diaz pushes the button and nothing happens, right? Yeah, nothing happens. And they're like, okay, it must be a fake. But then, lo and behold, Frank Langella shows up. He's got the million bucks. Congratulations. Here's the cash. And then they ask him, oh, what are you going to do with the box now? He's like, I'm going to give it to somebody you don't know. Yeah, I'm going to reprogram it and give it to somebody you don't know. This strong implication being that you're next. <laughs> that, that you will die. Yeah. <laughs> what is this guy? Is he human? Is he God? Alien? You have no idea. All you know is that he gets back into a Men in Black style car and drives away. Just like in Knowing. Yeah, just like in Knowing. And then they cut back to where he is, and apparently he's in a hangar. He has a secret base. He has base. a secret base. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and the government is involved, and they're like helping him do this. That's never explained. I don't know. Why is that the... happening? <laughs> he's like, he's like, we'll decide the fate of humanity if we're going to end your, your species with an early extinction. And the government's like, okay, we'll help you out. <laughs> like, I thought that, that the National Security Association was formed to specifically stop that. One of Frank Langella's subordinates asks him, what what the hell is going on? Why you got a box? What's going on? And here is his explanation. Sir, if you don't mind me asking, why a box? Your home is a box. Your car is a box on wheels. You drive to work in it. You drive home in it. You sit in your home staring into a box, while the box that is your body inevitably withers, then dies, whereupon it is placed in the ultimate box to slowly decompose. It's quite depressing if you think of it that way. Don't think of it that way. Think of it as a temporary state of being. Another quotable quote is dropped on us, which is, do you think this is like the thesis statement of this movie or is this the key that unlocks the riddle? I don't know. They quote Arthur C. Clarke, who says, Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I guess that they're insinuating that what we worship as gods or as something supernatural or, or metaphysical is merely technology. a higher, yeah, a higher level, more advanced being or higher level of technology. That's the insinuation. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Because Langela says, the people who control the lightning sent me. Like, what? What are you talking about? Like, what does that mean? Lightning is just a naturally occurring phenomenon. <laughs> it occurs at random from, like, particles charged in the sky. Well, throughout the course of this movie, we, we keep seeing images of Mars and James Marsden. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, James Marsden is working on this Mars project. They're sending, like, a camera to Mars and all this stuff. I guess they're implying that what is happening in this movie is somehow connected to Mars. Later on, after the motel scene, Cameron Diaz gets on the phone with Langela's character and says, essentially, she wants to know what's going on. Are you looking at me? She She's talking to Frank Langela and she says, I want to talk to you. And he's like, in person, face to face. He's like, and then he goes, I'm looking at you right now. Then it pans I'm out. I'm in your to backyard. The, it pans out to the window and it's a completely different person. There's like a homeless man. Yeah, yeah there's a hobo. Just and staring, staring at is this creepy or comical to you? A combo of the two. <laughs> but I mean, it actually brought, like, it made me think, like, a being so powerful and omnipotent should find this experiment pointless 
and irrelevant. Like if this person is so powerful and they have this technology, then intellectually they should be so grand that the result should already be known of this experiment. Why I feel, bother? Why bother? They already know what's going to happen. I mean, you've created, they're, they're essentially able to manipulate time and space itself. Why do they care with these people? Like something so powerful that they're godlike yes. should, it's, should have no interest in us. Why do they even care? That's the thing. Like we, we much later in the movie, we come to find out what the hell is actually going on, why this is happening with the box, why they're doing it. And apparently what it is, is some outside force, the people who control the lightning or whatever. Whatever that means. They. What a convoluted and stupid line that is. Uh, they, <laughs> they want to know if mankind is worthy of existence. So the whole point of the box is it's a test to see if human beings have the capacity to put aside their self-interest for the benefit of others. And if too many people push the button, then they're going to, I assume, exterminate us? It's weird because, like, you're applying this weird, you know, moral absolutism that human beings have developed from living on this planet to some organism or omnipotent being that is not from here and has nothing to do with us until this point in the movie. Not just that, but then we find out that one of Frank Langelis's powers is that he can control people. And that's why these people keep having nosebleeds is because he is entering their minds and controlling them. So, and then he's actually damaging yeah, their frontal lobes, their, their, their prefrontal cortex. The problem here is that in the beginning, it's pretty plain to see that Frank Langella is the reason why Cameron Diaz was fired. Frank Langella is the reason why James Marsden isn't going to become an astronaut. So essentially what you're saying is he's priming all these characters yes, he to is. want to push the button. This experiment is tainted. There's What the hell is the point? You're not going to get good data off of it. Is this even an experiment? Because there's no control group. He's literally making people want to push the button. This movie, I, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but like this movie reminds me very much of the story of Job. <laughs> I was just thinking that because he... It's essentially like it's, it's a being, an omnipotent being that just takes everything away from these people and sees if they fall into temptation. Job did it. He he, he did. He, he passed, passed, he he passed, passed the test. So if he could do it, why can't Cameron Diaz do it? Because we're human. We're flawed. Again, if, if, if this being is so intelligent, shouldn't he know that human beings have these base instincts that they're going to follow? I mean, like these instincts are super strong. You want to reproduce. You want to do the best you can for your kids. You want to make sure that they succeed. Yes. So yeah. if that is biologically ingrained to who you are, then is it even your fault? Yeah, that's a good question because he's like, oh, we're doing it to see if human beings can put aside their needs for the benefit of other people. Well, now, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have evolved that way. Like, it's not it's not, well, it's well, not well, like I chose to be this way. Well, later on, we find out that the people who are given the box, they're always under 40 and they always have one kid. If you just lost your job, you've got a kid. You got to take care of them, right? Aren't you? They're, they're putting, being selfless uh, to yes, begin with. Yes, you're putting yourself aside for like the benefit of your kid, right? That's why you're doing this. Making this experiment pointless to begin with <laughs> because he's trying to see if he'll do it for somebody else. And the answer is yes. There's a scene in this movie where they go back to Langela's base of operation, which is in an airplane hangar. And there is this really weird, what looks like a film of spinning water suspended horizontally in the air. And it's just rotating. And there's a line of people walking through it. And I guess they're trying to insinuate that it's like some type of like inter 
interdimensional gateway. Yeah, sliders. Yes, yeah, so this is like a a recurring visual uh, visual choice that Richard Kelly puts in a lot of his movies. So he had the water, the water twos and Donnie Darko. There's gonna be some water later on in this. And in Southland Tales, there was like a portal. Yes, there there was. He just he puts them in all his movies. You know what? What's going on in this guy's head? He's really interested in like time travel and uh, like I said before, say what you will about this wormholes, dimensionality, stuff like that. You know, yeah, say what you will about this guy, but he's doing something different, at least. You look at crap like Skyline and like G.I. Joe, these things that are just so dull and boring. You know, some of these movies may be failures, but at least he's trying something different. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. As far as G.I. Joe and Skyline goes, we had very little to talk about. We were just able to talk to talk about the actual technical merit of the movie. You were actually talking about concepts. Yeah. And it's enjoyable. It's around this point that this movie has completely gone off the, the rails. We have this scene where James Marsden and Cameron Diaz are in the library together, yet they don't know that the other one's there. They're on like two separate missions doing something in the library. Cameron Diaz runs into Frank Langella and they have that horrible heart to heart talk about, I felt love when I saw your putrid face and... James Marsden, he has a much more interesting time at the library. He's walking around and all these people are just, they start following him. It's kind of creepy, actually, the way these guys are just chasing him and following him in the library. He goes into the reading room and there's like 50 people sitting there reading. And as he walks by their tables, they all turn as he walks by in, in, in unison and get up and start following him. It's very cool looking. It's very very fast paced walk right behind. I'd be terrible. I'd be scared if, if I was him and, and that was really happening. And then he meets this woman in the library who claims to be Cal- Frank Langella's wife. He she says that she is calamity. Yeah. And then here comes one of Richard Kelly's favorite tricks. He, this woman is in front of three these pedestals. squares, yeah. three marble looking squares that are on the ground. And she says, you must choose one door to lead to hell. Eternal damnation. Yo. What if I choose nothing? Eternal, dam- eternal damnation. damnation. So, and okay, he, th- he, he can't go back. Now seriously, seriously, listening at home, if you've never seen this movie, seriously, try to picture this, try to re- really picture this, picture a room in a library where on the floor there are three squares and then all of a sudden where the squares are a box appears but this box is made out of water as if there's an invisible rectangular cube there and water is being poured into it it's just this concept like that that is something i can guarantee has never been in a movie before ever probably never will be again right this idea of there being a water cube and it's like a teleportation device of some sort it's kind of cool like I like it. It's not like a static doorway. It's like a very dynamic, moving, fluid thing. The The idea itself is cool. And he goes into the cube and, and we get like this white light 2001 Space Odyssey thing. And then all of a sudden we, we cut to Karen Diaz is sleeping in her bed. And then James Marsden is in the water cube floating above the bed. This is a really strange visual. He is floating in midair inside of a water box and Cameron Diaz is below him. And she goes to touch it, and then the box explodes, and the water flies everywhere. So we, we might as well just skip to the end here, where James Marsden and Cameron Diaz are presented with the ultimate choice. Frank Langella shows up again, and he gives them one more moral quandary. Now, I've got a bone to pick with this, and I think you do too. This movie is structured around one philosophical idea, the whole push the button, kill somebody, blah, blah, blah. So at the last second, they decide to toss one more in there. And what happened is Frank Langella has locked their son in the bathroom and... <laughs> so 
stupid. <laughs> Frank Langella locks their son in the bathroom and somehow robs this little boy of his ability to see and to hear. That's a hell of a punishment. This kid didn't do anything. Yeah, he's a complete innocent. And they're punishing the hell out of him. Frank Langella gives Cameron Diaz a choice. Listen, you can choose to do nothing, keep the million bucks, and live with your son in this crippled state, but he'll never be able to see you or hear you again. Or... James Marsden, you can kill your wife, Cameron Diaz, shoot her in the heart, and I will restore your son's senses, take the money, and put it in a he doesn't say, bearing account. He doesn't say it that way, though. He goes, the second your wife's soul vacates yes, her body, yes, I will yes. restore his vision and hearing. I'm like, how do you know when her soul <laughs> vacates her body? Which implies, like, okay, do you work for God? Now there's <laughs> souls here? I thought you were, like, working for aliens or something. I know. that This is, like, a really weird statement. He's insinuating that there's souls and an afterlife, which then takes the edge away from killing her. Because now there is definitively somewhere else that she is going and she's made the right decision so it's, it's a tough call to make but then James Marsden decides that it's the right thing to do. no Cameron Diaz actually decides it's the right thing to do you know what's really interesting though like when they're all upset that their son is deaf and blind and, and locked in the bathroom <laughs> they go what have you done he goes I have done nothing to him <laughs> that's not true <laughs> You literally made him blind and deaf. Cameron Diaz decides, hey, you know what? This is the right thing to do. Kill me. I don't want to live like this. Take me out. Bring back our son. So, you know what? Arthur, I love you. Yeah, and he goes, I'll see you soon. See you on the other side. And then puts a gun to her chest. Which sounds like a suicide pact, but he doesn't kill himself. Yeah. I'll see you on the other side. (laughs) Yes. But like, not for a while. The moment he pulls the trigger, it cuts to another family in another part of town. In the moment he pulls the trigger... Boom, this woman pushes the button on her box. There's an interesting uh, yeah, there's cause a and effect very, loop there. Very interesting thing. One of the things I've noticed about this movie is that in this movie, we see three different people, three different families that have been affected by the box and who pushed the button. In each instance, it was the wife that pushed the button. What do you think of that? It's always the woman's fault. Uh, Very Adam and Eve, huh? Misogyny at its finest? No, no. The movie we just watched was misogyny <laughs> at its finest. This is misogyny at its, I don't know, tamest? Yeah, this is misogyny at like a sixth grade level. Someone pushes the button, kills Cameron Diaz. What if he chose not to kill her? Would the other person still push the button? What if the other person didn't push the button? This test is flawed. It is flawed. What's really interesting is the way Cameron Diaz pushed the button because I remember seeing the third woman push the button when Cameron Diaz dies. Same exact way. And it's like a very matter-of-fact instantaneous. It's very impulsive. It's very impulsive. It seems like they don't actually have free will. What is the point of this test? It's not even a test, really. This is like a kind of like another thing. You know what? Another thing. The whole point of the test is to see whether or not human beings can be selfless. Isn't taking a bullet to bring back your son pretty damn selfless? After this, the police show up right on cue. It's almost like they were like waiting outside for him to shoot her. (laughs) (laughs) They storm upstairs and they have him, uh, you know, they arrest him. And then they don't really arrest him because then it shows that he gets into the car. His boss from the Langley Research Center is there and says, don't worry, we'll take good care of him. Implying that they're going to take care of his son, that he's in on the experiment the entire time. And then also implying that Arthur becomes an employee of this uh, of this individual. He's one of those guys that's going to be helping him out, perform his tests. Man, Richard Kelly, you've uh, you've gone quite far from the Darko days. <laughs> so what do you think? Is this uh, headier than, than knowing or? Absolutely. Conceptually, yeah. I mean, there isn't as much references to like biblical related. Not enough. Imagery. Cage in this movie. 
At the end of this movie, you're left sitting there wondering, what is this? What did I just watch? What's going on? Did you have a sense? cold and alone? Yeah, yeah, no. At the end, did you feel like a sense of relief that the movie was over? Were you confused? Were you angry? How did you feel? Yeah, I was happy it was over. You were? It was too long. I thought this was too long. This movie could have benefited from some editing. The ideas and questions that were presented in the movie were definitely interesting. This movie is more enjoyable to talk about. Let me tell you right here. Here's my last note. This movie is better to talk about than to watch. I don't know how this episode is going to play with the audiences, but... For me and you, we had a great time yeah, talking yeah, about it. talking about it, so... Sorry, guys. I guess, like, this is one for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actual movie talk <laughs> on this show? <laughs> That's unheard of. Okay, Martin, let's find out what the real critics had to say about this movie. Have you ever actually tried watching paint dry, a sloth walk, grass grow? You can have all the thrills with none of the chills, courtesy of The Box. Betsy Sharkey, Los Angeles Times. I don't even know what that means. You can have all the thrills and none of the chills? Watching paint dry is more thrilling than The Box. I think Kelly is a very inventive writer, and I think he is his own worst enemy behind the camera. Michael Phillips at the movies. And finally, some directors, it must be said, only have one one really good movie in them. We're starting to worry that Richard Kelly may be among this select group. Elizabeth Weitzman, New York Daily News. Okay, Martin, this movie currently holds a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? No, it's, I, I mean, even the Rotten Tomatoes score is uh, showing that this movie is not that terrible. The critics don't even think it's that bad. I was interested enough in the idea to watch this movie more than once. Visually, it's not that impressive, but it definitely is doing something interesting, and the story itself is pretty interesting. Uh, other than Cameron Diaz, the acting is good, and even though it is a little long, I'm willing to actually sit through the whole thing just because the idea is engaging. No, it's not bad. I'm going to give it a solid 3 out of 5. Okay. I initially gave this movie a 2 out of 5. The second viewing, I feel as if I was right the first time. I'm staying with my 2 out of 5. I don't like the way this movie looks. I don't like how long it is. It's kind of meandering. It doesn't really know what it wants to do. It comes and it goes. It has a lot of interesting ideas. I'll give it that. The ideas alone are enough to make you want to sit through the whole thing through its entirety. And that's it. That's all this movie has. It's ideas. The execution doesn't really live up to it for me. I agree. Marsden and Langelo, they were good. They did a great job with this material. Well, let me uh, pose this to you. Would you rather have the exact situation like we had with Sucker Punch, where it was just all visual and no story? That's true, but this movie didn't have the visual visuals and it didn't have the story it just had cool ideas that's it it didn't gel for me. The story wasn't that great. The concepts to me, though, were really interesting. But this this is a perfect idea for a 22-minute Twilight Zone episode. When you stretch it out, you got to fill in the gaps. And he came up with this crazy plot about alien gods with water boxes or whatever. Again, I think it is a cool idea on its own, but I don't think it works within the framework of this movie. Oh, look, look at that. We're conflicting. Yeah, we are. Finally, right? I hope everybody's happy out there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Martin, we got a voicemail about this movie. I'll play that for you right now. To listen to your messages, press 1. Hey, this is Ziggy Star calling about The Box. This movie is so bad. Now, based on a short story with a really great premise, got that tale of human nature and morality with a little bit of suspense and psychological drama, and that kind of is the problem. 
It's based on a short story. Once the box is done with that basic concept, with the consequences of this couple selling their decency for some cash, the rest of the movie is a mess of padding. There are pools and portals and mysterious nosebleeds, doors that lead to salvation or damnation. I still don't know if the beings who control whatever, I'm not exactly clear on what they were called or what they were doing, were gods or aliens but all of this chasing and solving of mystery leads to the most absurd ending with the son being stuck in the bathroom struck blind and deaf by Frank Langella or his superior I, I guess I'm not sure who was doing that either then James Marston having the pop a cap and the Cameron Diaz for things to be made okay, for the son to be cured. And really, in the end, it's still, nothing was okay. It still was a depressing ending. Really? I mean, I was so confused by the end. I actually left the theater thinking I may have saw something special, not really knowing if I liked it or not. And, you know, after my head cleared a little bit, I realized it was just a piece of crap. Just a really bad movie. All right, talk to you guys later. Hey, guys. Um, you, you don't really know me, but... Um, I'm JV from Bristol. I'm a couple of uh, episodes late on uh, your schedule, and for that I apologize. I just bought a house. Congratulate me. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, I just wanted to let you guys know what I thought of uh, no one. I mean, it's a Nicolas Cage movie, it, and it has him going batshit insane. So I automatically loved it. And then the rest of the movie went on and was a piece of utter rubbish um except for the ending when all the humans died but the children lived and that made me happy for some reason because after watching that i felt that nicholas cage should have actually died oh no 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 i'm kidding i'm kidding i love you nicholas cage i don't actually want you to die i'm kidding you're one of my favorite actors and that's only because of face off and leaving las vegas and ghost rider yeah end of message Thanks for that voicemail. All right, let's read some listener mail. Constant writes in about the box. It says, I watched the box some time ago and I wanted to forget it as soon as it ended. If I never see it again, it will be too soon. The initial setup was intriguing, but spiraled out of control quickly and then crashed and burned. Patrick writes in and says, Hey guys, when I was privileged with the opportunity to watch Sucker Punch in theaters, I couldn't help but think how the movie actually had potential, if not for one fatal flaw. The top layer of the movie was 100% unnecessary and detrimental to the story. If they skipped the whole Emily Browning shooting her stepdad slash sister and unavoidable lobotomy by making her a poor girl who had no choice but to work at a creepy strip club whorehouse, then she could go to the imaginary action world in her mind to escape the pain of dancing, performing sex acts for money, and getting raped, and it would actually make some sort of sense. With the fantasy world giving them confidence and self-worth, Emily Browning and the rest of the stripper crew could have found a way to escape the terrible lifestyle they were thrown into. Cult writes in and says, Hey guys, I agree with what you said about Sucker Punch being a good YouTube clip movie. The missions were the coolest part of the movie. While you and a lot of others say that the movie is misogynist, I believe you're only half right. The movie is also sexist against men. All the men are evil and must be killed or defeated by the women. Since there's an exception to every rule, they put the old fella in there to help them escape. So basically, unless a man is a kindly old gent, then he is a predator and going to harm women. At least Snyder was being equal opportunity when it comes to sexism. 
Paul says, hi, I'm an illustrator and I just graduated this past spring from the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And I want to specifically mention Art Center. I know about Art Center. Yeah, so do I. A lot of heavy hitters come out of that place. Yeah, they do. Because two of the directors who've given you lots of content to review graduated from the Art Center. Zack Snyder and Sir Michael Bay. <laughs> He's knighted? Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell knighted him? <laughs> Bay was actually an advertising major here. Go figure. Also, Tarsem Singh, the guy who directed The Cell, went to Art Center. That's, that's a visual guy right there, too. Very visual. Okay, so we got our first response from my outcry to ask for any international listeners to chime in. And he, he goes to great lengths to tell us how to properly pronounce his last name, but I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce his first name. I'm thinking it's Colum. Calum? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I've been a fan of your show since your review of the white hot shit heap Whiteout. So I think it's only fair I reply to your call for foreign listeners. I'm from Bonnie, Scotland, and I'm studying radio production in college. I get a lot of inspiration and ideas for links, bits, and discussion on my course from your episodes. So for that, as well as the hilarious reviews, thank you. I hope one day I can have an equally successful podcast. So he started listening to this at episode four. So he started listening to us before we got picked up in the new and noteworthy. He's been in here since the ground floor. Wow. We didn't even have a format yet. No, we did it at episode four. Yeah, because we didn't get a format till episode eight. So yeah, Ben, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I fell asleep during Whiteout, by the way. <laughs> we had to like rewatch it. Okay. <laughs> Peter writes in and says, hey guys, just following your advice from the Sucker Punch Review and saying a big hello from Australia. Speaking from my fine country, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on some of the crappy movies that we have given the world. Howling 3, The Marsupials, and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles come to mind. Oh, there you go. That's cool. We got a Scotland and Australia. Hmm. Very cool. Thanks for the emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeah, it's that bad at gmail.com. Now it's on to the question of the week. And the question was, what is a movie that just simply does not translate to the small screen? So it was awesome in the theaters, but not so hot when you watch it at home. Melinda says, Avatar, the huge eye-dropping 3D and special effects are all it had going for it. Once you watch it on a smaller screen, you realize it's just Pocahontas in space. You know what? I'm going to say I was on the ground floor for being an Avatar hater. I I said two out of five and I caught a lot of heat for that back yeah, then. Yeah, because your reasoning was speciesism. <laughs> what what what? <laughs> This, this movie's horrible because he is anti. He, wait, what was your wording? It was it was he was against the human race, but I, he's I human. Say, I did say that. <laughs> yeah, it was like it's like he's a speciesist. I'm like I'm like that's not even a word. Not just that, but I was bored. I was bored with that movie. I said two out of five, whereas you said four, and our friend Matt was like five out of five. You guys were going hog wild over Avatar. I enjoyed it. Look, <laughs> you were <clears throat> your rating was filled with hate because of some bizarre type of some no, no, sort no. of like species related hate like rate racism or something. No, but no, 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 no. Real talk here. It was boring. I was bored in that movie. For real. So yeah. Small. It was an alien action adventure movie and you're telling me it's boring. So it was Skyline. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> Skyline gotcha. wasn't, Skyline was an avatar though. Okay, Jake said, the second Transformers, it had the sweet special effects and that's pretty much all it had the whole movie and it looked great on the big screen. On the small screen, it's nothing but robots beating each other up. God, I hate that movie. 
Christy says a film that did not translate to the small screen. I'm going to go with Inception. Of course, it's a fantastic movie. And of course, I will enjoy it no matter where I'm watching it or how many times I watch it. It's not that it didn't translate well, but when I first saw it in the theater, I was blown away. I was completely stunned at how awesome it was. But when I watched it at home, I couldn't say that I had the same completely stunned, blown away feeling. Jay Wall says, I have to agree with Melinda on Avatar, even though that movie overall was total shit and it's only saving grace was Stephen Colbert who made fun of the tree sex. <laughs> James Cameron was so focused on just creating such a huge, vast, and super detailed world that if you aren't watching it on IMAX and Super 3D with Binford 5000 Super Surround Sound speakers. Did she just reference a home improvement? Not just that. She said, insert Tim Taylor grunt here. <laughs> I think that's what she meant. <laughs> I think this movie really is crap on top of crap. I think to make a good movie, you need to still make sure it looks good on the smaller screen. That takes more talent in my mind than just throwing in a bunch of visual effects that are only good for one instance. That's why I don't own Avatar. I would rather sing along to Pocahontas or be enchanted by Fern Gully. At least they have better dialogue. Uh, Shannon says, Paranormal Activity, I saw this in the theater. It was packed. My biggest memory is that every time something weird happened in the film all the teenage girls would squeal but at the time something really crazy happened the whole group was freaking out you know paranormal activity was one of my top 10 worst movie going experiences of my life for this reason didn't you see felicity outside of that or that was a different that's some different altogether oh okay and finally andrea says cloverfield i have never felt so tense in a movie theater i talked about it for days with friends i was highly anticipating the dvd release but it just wasn't the same watching it by myself at home I agree with you 100%. I actually dropped a star off of Cloverfield's rating for that very reason. It was the audience that made the movie better. Not just that, but like the shaky cam works a lot better in the big screen because you can't look away. You have to look at it and you really feel like you're immersed in it. Plus, not knowing what's happening really helps that movie. Okay, as for next week's question of the week, once again, we asked our Facebook friends to come up with an idea for the question of the week. And Edward writes in and says, what actor can you think of that has had the worst string of movies yet continues to get work? For me, it's not a lead actor. He usually plays supporting roles, but it's John Leguizamo. Okay. What about you? I'm going with Vin Diesel. So there you go. What actor can you think of that is consistently in bad movies, yet they keep getting movie roles? By the way, don't you dare say Dennis Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's the time to announce the winner of the listener's choice poll. And the choices were Showgirls versus Striptease. Now, this poll wasn't even close. Showgirls really uh, took the lead early and ran away with it. It was like a professional boxer fighting in kindergarten. <laughs> is what this poll was like. Yeah, there was no contest whatsoever. The winner is Showgirls. Okay, so tune in next week when we will be watching Showgirls. And if you've already seen Showgirls, give us a call at 973-797-9324. Leave us a little mini review and we'll play it on the show. This call is free to anyone in the continental United States. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. 
please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help us spread the word of the show by liking us on Facebook and talking about us on Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. And you can also listen to our show on your BlackBerry and Android devices on Stitcher via stitcher.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. Listen, she pulled a Constantine and made the sacrifice. Can we go one podcast without you referencing Constantine? (laughs) (laughs) No.